So starting right out today, as usual, we can't do anything here in Genesis 1 unless it's based on the Word of God. So let's start right off in going to the Word of God, and let's go to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Praise the living God. And we're going to read through, we're going to start by reading through this chapter, and then we'll unpack it as we go through the sermon. But starting with verse number one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved, underline, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they will be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women with, which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow uh, laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Underline, please. Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me um, has has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of wanting, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to the, to the, full, to the full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. Underline that, please. I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once again and again my, unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Ephroditus the things which were sent from you in odor, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Underline 19, please. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren which are with me great, uh, greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly, chiefly they that are of uh, Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen and amen. Philippians chapter 4 contains some of my favorite, what I call, de-stress verses. Philippians 4 contains some of my favorite de-stress verses. And it teaches us how to deal with everyday things uh, in our lives that stress us out. Everyday things in our lives that steal and extinguish our joy. For this sermon, I'm calling these stressors, or things that stress us out. For this sermon, I'm calling them buzzkills. Calling them buzzkills. We all know what buzzkills are. A buzzkill is anything or anyone that can bring you down or steal your joy. So let's start out by taking a look at four buzzkills, quote unquote, in the fourth chapter of Philippians that we just read. Buzzkill number one in our lives is conflict. In conflict is conflict. If we go back to verse number two, it says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, apparently, you see, back in this in the first century church in development, women, women were especially in uh, in Philippi. Women were involved very much in politics and the and the, uh, uh, you know, the things that were going on in the town and so forth. But these two women were apparently in conflict. And what he is saying here is that he was encouraging them to, to, to get over this conflict, to settle whatever is going on between them. The epistle was written to them because there was a lot that was going on, but they were constantly bickering. So here, if Paul is dwelling on conflict, then what, what is conflict? Conflict is our li- in our lives is something that divides us. Conflict is something that conquers. Paul was cautioning them to make amends and not allow conflict to steal their joy. You see, conflict in your life, conflict in your life can steal your joy. Conflict in your life can become a major, major buzzkill. So how do you eliminate it? How do you get rid of the conflict that may be existing between you and coworkers, between you and your boss? How do you deal with conflict that is dealing with you and another family member? How do you deal with conflict that is dealing, working between you and a neighbor? Or how do you deal with conflict that is between you and a checkout clerk in Winco? This checkout clerk in Winco gave you a hard time one time and you didn't like the way she took, she checked you out. So every time you see her in aisle number five, you avoid her by going to aisle number three. That's conflict that you don't need to live with because it can indeed steal your joy. So how do you, how do you, you deal with it? Well, the way that you deal with conflict is to face the issue. You face what is going on. But you don't do it by yourself. By yourself, you face conflict with the advice and the guidance of Holy Spirit. Many times if we try to settle a problem, if we try to eliminate in our own ways, we go about it in our human way. And therefore, we can exacerbate the problem or make the problem even worse by trying to eliminate the conflict. So remember that buzzkill number one in your life can indeed be conflict. So we need to search our lives. Where is there conflict? And if there is conflict, we need to deal with it with the Holy Spirit in how to resolve that conflict to eliminate it. Because it can indeed steal your joy if you let it just linger. Okay? The next buzzkill number two is anxiety. Anxiety itself. And if you go to verse number six, it reads there, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Read it again. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So what that is saying there is don't care for anything. 
don't carry the burdens. You got a burden that you're carrying in your heart, in your spirit, you need to take that to God because the word of God says to do that. So being careful means that we don't care. If there's something that you're carrying on your shoulders, if there's something that you're worrying about, I don't care whether it's a financial issue, I don't care if it's a health issue. Instead of carrying that burden, you need to pray about it and take it to God because God has the broadest shoulders in the world and say, God, I give this care for you. Okay, I'm not going to care of it. Being careful here is not saying to, to, to be unsafe. Being careful here means not to care for the things of life because that's one buzzkill again that can steal your, steal your joy. It, uh, uh, being, being anxious all the time brings a feeling of uh, being overwhelmed. Okay? Overwhelmed. Now, according to the dictionary, the word overwhelm means to give a person too much of something. Overwhelm is taking on too much and carrying too much of a burden yourself. All right. If you ask a neighbor or a friend of yours, uh, could you um, could you feed my dog or feed my goldfish? You're not going to turn around and also say, by the way, can you do my laundry and can you do my dirty dishes? Because asking them to do all of that could be overwhelming them. Okay? So overwhelming is when we have so much going on in our lives that we have a hard time dealing with it. We have so much going on that we feel like our life is totally out of control. Therefore, we have to choose to serve or give our crazy runaway feelings of being overwhelmed to the one that can deal with it, and that's God. So we're not to carry it around. okay? And I will tell you something. I mean, I've been in, 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 in ministry for many, many years, as most of you know. And there are times and times that things where, where something will come back into my life where all of a sudden it will become like a burden. Some new problem will just pop up out of nowhere. And I don't care how long you're in the Lord and I don't care how Christian you are and what a good Christian you, you are in your life. There are times that problems will crop up in your life. Jesus said that you will have tribulations. He didn't say if, he said when, okay? But there have been times when all of a sudden something's come up and I'm thinking about this thing and I'm dwelling on it. And I distinctly hear the Holy Spirit tell me as crystal clear as as you're hearing me saying, are you taking back that burden that you gave to me? All right. So in other words, in, pre- in previous prayer times, I had prayed to God, Lord, take this burden, deal with this particular issue and so forth. But then all of a sudden, in a split second, I may forget about that. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I'm dwelling on, gee, how do I solve this? How do I solve how do I? And Jesus will tell me, the Holy Spirit will tell me, are you taking back that burden that you just gave to me? All right. So when you're praying to God and you're releasing a burden to God, release that burden to God. Release that burden to God and leave it there. Don't take it back from him by you trying to figure it out again, because then you wind up feeling overwhelmed. And then that brings nothing but anxiety in your life. Then all of a sudden you've got a major buzzkill that's going on because it's killing your joy. It's killing your freedom in Christ. You see? you see, so we can't let ourselves become overwhelmed and to carry those burdens around. Buzzkill number three is toxic thoughts, toxic or poisonous thoughts. We go to verses eight here. And it says, well, let me read 6 and 7 before we go on. Uh, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then what happens? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, so keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you don't have verse number seven underlined already, please go on and underline it. And before I go on to the next buzzkill, toxic thoughts, let me just dwell on that for a moment. Many times when we're carrying a burden and we decide to give that burden to God, 
And you're saying, okay, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay the mortgage. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent. I don't know how I'm going to get this job. I don't know how I'm going to get this car. I don't know how I'm going to get this house. Whatever it may be. And you release it to God and you give it to God. And if you really, 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 really believe deep in your spirit that God hears that prayer and that God has taken that burden from you and that God can answer that prayer. If you really, really believe that, then a peace will come upon you. The peace of God, which passes all understanding. So keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding. That means that while you're giving this to God, when you get to the point, when you get to the point in your spiritual life that you're praying and you're saying, God, take this issue from me. I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent, Lord, but I'm going to give it to you because I know that you'll find a way. If you really believe that, you'll feel that burden literally lift from your shoulders and a peace will descend upon you. And I cannot explain that to you in, in human, in everyday words to you. But all that I know is that you will know that you know that you know deep in your spirit that you'll pay the rent. All I know is that you will know deep within your spirit and there will be such a relaxation and a peace will come over you that will not under you will pass your understanding. And what does that mean in the original in the original uh, Greek that's written in? What it's really meaning is that you don't get it. You don't understand how you're going to be able to pay the rent. All you know is that you've given the burden to God and you're trusting God. And that peace will, be, will come upon you. And, 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 and you, I don't understand how this is happening. How do I have this peace? How do I have this peace? But it, it'll, it'll be beyond your understanding. So that your spirit will know that all is well. That all is well. You heard me talk about the times when, uh, when I was working in secular, secular jobs uh, before I retired and so forth. Is that there are many, I worked for an engineering firm. And uh, uh, they came around one Friday and gave out pink slips. You know, pink slip is your termination notice. And that's how they did it back in those days. They wouldn't give you any forewarning. You'd go out to lunch at noontime, come back from work, and you'd find a pink slip sitting on your desk telling you that as of such and such a date, you're no longer required by the company, et cetera, et cetera. And they're called pink slips. And this happened uh, one time. And I came back and thank God there was no pink slip on my desk. And some of the people there asked me, well, gee whiz, Cobb, aren't you upset? Aren't you worried about that? I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I prayed as usual. I give my job always to God. I give everything to God and just move on from there. And they said, well, how can you be so, he used the term, how can you be so peaceful with all of this turmoil going on? And I said, how much time do you have? What do you mean how much time? I said, how much time do you have? And I'll tell you how. You want to go to lunch or whatever? So we went to lunch early enough and I talked to him and ministered to him about the Lord and he wound up coming to God. Okay, but that passing that that, that peace that comes upon you, no one will understand how you can be so peaceful in the midst of a storm. Okay, because you've given it to God. And if you know that, you know that, you know that, you know, and you believe that God has that burden, you give it to him and you won't take it back. You won't borrow it back from God. That's one of the things that I warn you as a child of God to don't let yourself fall into that trap. Once you pray to God and you give him an issue, give it to him and leave it there. Okay, and you may do well for yourself if you find yourself worrying about it again and praying about it again for you to remember or either God will remind you. Oh, that's right, Lord. I gave that one to you. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to pick it up again. All right. And you you will be so unburdened. You will physically. I'm telling you, I felt physically a lift off of my shoulders and you kind of taking a deep breath and you sigh because you're free. 
You're free. You see, you see, you see. see. So, so, so don't let that buzzkill of being overwhelmed and can being anxious about things overtake your life and to steal your joy. And now on to again, number three, toxic thoughts here, the, uh, verses eight, uh, go to verses eight and nine here. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, uh, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. As I said, please underline that. Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Underline do. These things you've seen and heard in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. And remember last week I talked about what is the difference between uh, having faith in God and having trust in God. Okay, and I say that having faith in God is a is a is a, a, a noun because faith is something that we have, but trust is a verb. The trust is a verb which requires action. All right, so you can have faith in God, but then yet still you can wind up not trusting God because that's an action. You have to willfully trust God. I use that as an example to you, the guy who's advertised as being this high wire tightrope uh, walker, and he's known for walking across the, uh, uh, the Grand Canyon. Okay, and he's been good at it. He's done it many, many times. You've seen him on TV walking that w- with a wheelbarrow, wheeling that wheelbarrow across the Grand Canyon on a wire. And someone says to you, do you believe that this guy can do that? Oh, yeah, I, I believe he can do it. I have faith that he can do it. I have faith that he can do it. This is something that you know he can do because you've seen him do it. Then you said, okay, you've got faith in that. Okay, let's see how much you trust him. Let me see you climb in that wheelbarrow and let him wheel you on that, on that high wire across the Grand Canyon. Okay, now, do you trust him to do that? All right, now, that's the difference. You have faith that he can do it, but do you trust him to actually do it? Well, so it is with God. Many times we intellectually have faith in God doing something, but do you actually trust him to do it? Why? Because that trust requires some action on your part. And that action on your part is to change how you think. Change how you think. Don't let toxic thoughts come into your mind. Toxic thoughts are very much like static. All right. You ever see static on TV or hear static on a radio broadcast? I know some of you here may be so young that you don't even know what static is because here we live in the digital age and most TV is cable, is cable TV, so the signal is pretty clear. Okay, but back in the old days of us dinosaurs, okay, they had these uh, rabbit ears that sat on top TV, the top of the TV, and when you change channel, you get all these lines and scratchy sounds going across the screen, and you've probably seen old comedies where the guy is kicking the TV trying to get the picture in. Well, that was static because the station couldn't be tuned in effectively. On the radio today, most, most sound, uh, 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 waves are digital, so you don't hear that too much. But static is something that interrupts the picture and in, in, interrupts the transmission and the reception of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the video or the sound. Static, toxic thoughts can be like static in our lives. Toxic thoughts can interrupt the Holy Spirit's voice. Toxic thoughts can stop you from praying to God. Toxic thoughts can stop you from having joy about your life. Toxic thoughts are you getting up in the morning and having a wonderful shower, a nice cup of coffee and breakfast, and then you run downstairs all chipper and up, and you jump in the car, and you start the car up, and then you get ready to pull off. Then all of a sudden, this thought reminds you of something that is really, really bad and miserable. That's a toxic thought, and all of a sudden, it steals your joy. You started off on a beautiful day, and now you've got this thought that came in and became a buzz, a buzzkill and, and stole your joy. Toxic thoughts like static can block your inner faith voice. 
All we can pick up or hear are those destructive voices telling us how we're going to fail. All we can hear coming through is, 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 is uh, voices of doom saying, you're not going to get that. That's not going to work out for you. It's going to be another lousy day. Like you have people at work all the time used to drive me nuts. Oh, good morning on a Monday morning. Good morning to you. How are you? And they say, oh, what's so good about it? It's Monday. What's so good about it? It's Monday. Blue Monday. I say, well, in the first place, you're alive. You're alive. You're breathing. Amen. Amen. Or either they say to you, oh, good morning. Well, you're 50 percent right. It's morning. But what's so good about it? Well, you've you got a life and you're, you're living, okay? These are all toxic thoughts. They're buzzkills that wind up entering to our lives. They come to suck out your joy. So what Paul does here, the Apostle Paul gives us in verse number 8, a list of things for us to think on to replace those toxic thoughts. You see, unlike, you know, the common belief that um, you've heard of multitasking, multitasking, oh, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah, well, well the brain cannot truly, 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 truly multitask. We occupy and we dwell on one thought. We may change thoughts very, very quickly. A computer, even the most high, highest performing uh, computers, are not truly, truly, truly multitasking. They're not doing every single thing simultaneously. The, point, the, the fact of the matter is that they are so super fast that they're doing many, many things, but they can't do two things exactly at the same time, at the same, same, same microsecond. The human mind, of course, is obviously not going to be working that way either. So we don't truly multitask. But, but if you've got these negative thoughts going on in your mind, you've got these toxic thoughts. The Apostle Paul gives us a list of things what to do to change them. He says, whatever things are true, think on. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So if you've got a toxic thought in your mind, simply change your thoughts. Think about God. Think about heaven. Think about Jesus. Think about, think about many of the miracles in the Bible. You know, even if you don't want to think about the Bible at that particular time, think about that time you bought that new pair of brand new red shoes to you ladies out there that you were longing for so much or whatever color they may be. Amen. To us guys, think about when you brought that gadget that you were longing for. But change that negative thought. Get that toxic thought out of your mind so that it doesn't block you hearing God's truth. Amen. Moving on to buzzkill number four. This one is called fretting. This one is called fretting or worrying, fretting about something. And we see in verse number 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Whatever state I am in, in therewith to be content. Living in a state of chronic or constant discontentment is like wallowing in quicksand. The more you move around and the more you stress out and worry about it, the more you sink. The more you sink. Okay? Okay? So the more you, you worry in, in about the state that you're in and you wind up being discontent, it's just like pulling yourself down. If you're sitting, oh, gee whiz, I wish I could get this job, or I haven't got a promotion, or I don't have enough money to do this, or I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. That's a state of discontentment, because you're not content with being where you, where you are. Discontentment is a side effect of feeling that your life circumstances, that your life is simply spiraling, spiraling out of control. That's what discontent is, discontentment, you know. And I've heard so many people complain about, you know, what, is, what a good day it is, or I'm miserable, or so forth. And I say, well, well, first of all, look at where you are. You have shoes on your feet. 
You have food on your table. You have a roof over your head. What about being thankful and content for where you are? Paul is saying there, he said there in verse number 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therefore to be content. You know, and that discontentment winds up with us winding up fretting. We wind up fretting over it. Fretting, what fretting does is fretting is our feeble effort. It's our feeble effort to maintain control over a situation that has us feeling discontent. You see? So we wind up fretting over it. Why do you feel discontent? Do you stop and think about the many blessings that you do have? Instead of you worrying about, oh, I'm not in this particular place, I'm not in this particular place. First of all, remember that God is in charge of your life. God knows the needs that's in your life. God knows what your wants are. And that God's going to bring you to the place that is best for you. You see? So whatever state that you're in right now, whatever is going on, don't, don't, don't start feeling discontent. That you're not satisfied. What did Paul say? He said that after that in verse 11, he says, um, I know both how to be abased. I also know how to abound. In other words, I know how to have little and I also know how to have much. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says in 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, which strengthens me. So if you're feeling all of a sudden you're dissatisfied with where you are in life and you're discontent at your lot in life, remember that you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. So in other words, Jesus will give you the strength, first of all, to get through this period of discontentment. Jesus will, Jesus will give you the strength to get through and to achieve whatever it is that you need to do to get to where God wants you to be. Okay? So remember, if, if, I'm, if I'm discontent, if I'm discontent, with my living conditions, if I'm discontent with the job that I'm in, if I'm discontent with the total of my bank account, okay, God knows. God knows the total that's in your bank account. God knows what job you're in. God knows what your aspirations are. God knows what you are aspiring to do, okay? So where contentment comes in is knowing that I know that God knows I want a different job. God knows that I, that I don't have enough money to do this. God knows, God knows, God knows. So therefore, God is going to do something for me. And I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me the strength. So if God knows these things, and you see, the, the beautiful thing about trusting in God is that whatever he does for you is going to be a good thing. Okay? It's going to be a good thing. And the funny thing about it, what I've noticed with God over my many, many years, praise God, of life, is that while I may not get what I think I want, I may not get what I think I'm striving for, what God does give me winds up being better than what I hoped for. Okay? Why? Because God knows my future. I don't. Okay? God knows, I, I, uh, God knows, God knows what I need. God knows where he wants me to be. And God wants you to be in a good place. Trust me and believe me when I say that. God wants you to be in a good place. God wants you to be in a place where you're not struggling. God wants you to be in a place where you're not worrying. God wants you to be in a place where you're glorifying him in your life. God wants you to be in a place where you're, you're, you're showing a shining example of what it's like to be really a Christian. A full gospel, Holy Spirit filled Christian. And you're not one that's just playing church and acting like a Christian just to show off and, you know, that you're a Christian. But you're really living your best, trying your best to live a good, God-like, Christ-like life. 
God knows who you are and God knows where he wants you to be. So if we can just get with between our ears, get in this gray matter called the brain of ours. We can just get in here that where God wants me to be is a good thing. It's a good thing. All right. So, yeah, I may be desiring this, but God is desiring this for me. God is desiring this for me. And God will always give you more than what you expect. Always. Always. You heard me tell the story about a million times, probably about the first house that my wife and I prayed for and everything. And the pastor of the church told us, you know, to uh, um, on a particular Sunday, he's going to say, sketch out how you want your house to want to look and so forth. And, you know, we're not being architects, but we just drew it out the way what we were hoping for and praying for. And on a particular Sunday, he said, we're going to bring these plans. I want you to all bring these little sketches up and we're going to pray over them to church. In the meantime, he had one of the brothers, the carpenters in the ministry, build a little little fake like doorway. And uh, he said, as you pass through the doorway, pray and drop your plans in this in this uh, uh, basket that's on the side over here. And so we all did it and we prayed over the plans and so forth like that. And he said, simply just trust God. He's going to answer your prayers. And so we went on. Months went by, whatever. And we were looking for houses and so forth. And finally, make a long story short, the house that we settled on, we went in. And I remember the first visit there, my wife couldn't go. She was home with one of the kids or two of the kids at the time. And uh, I took a video camera with me, one of them big old video cameras you carry on your shoulder. You probably remember those things. And I was a little camcorder, one of them big things on your shoulder. And we went there, and I videotaped the house. Yeah, battery pack in the back and the whole bit. felt like I was on Channel 2 News, you know. And so we went out, and we were taking in the photo. And he said, okay, and surely enough, the bedrooms were laid out like we wanted, had a little upper level, like a little balcony up there. You remember that house, Brittany, where your room was? And, and uh and, and, and the balcony was just how it was laid out and everything. And so he said, All right, now I'll show you the backyard. Okay? And we went out to the backyard, and there was a 16 by 32 foot in-ground pool. I hadn't prayed for that. I hadn't asked for that. To the right of it was a little what they call in New York, they call them Florida rooms, which is basically it's an attachment on the house where you can go in to change your bathing suit and all like that. It's screened in and so forth. Like that. And, and Florida, I think they call them... Um, Oh, gee, I feel what they call them now. Uh, uh, anyway, anyway, it's an attachment to your house that's all. Or, I didn't pray for that. The point that I'm making to you is that what I prayed for, God granted. But then on top of that, he put icing on the cake. He put icing on the cake. I didn't ask for that, pool, Okay, but God gave it to me. And what I'm saying to you is that today, if you can change your mind, if you can get deeply planted in your spirit, that the things that you're praying for, the things that you're hoping for, the things that you're wanting, the state that you're in right now, God knows where you are. Okay? But what, let me give you a little secret here. Big revelation. What moves God is your faith and your trust in Him. That's what moves God. And when God sees that you're truly trusting Him and you're acting with, with your actions are showing trust, that's when God rolls up His sleeves and He says, yep, now I can go to work in His life. Now I can go to work in her life. Now I can start doing with her what I really want to do when you start trusting him. Okay? So you'll find that God knows where you are. So be content where you are. It doesn't mean to stop the aspirations. It doesn't mean to stop praying. and doesn't mean to stop, believe, stop believing that God was going, is going to give you what you want and what you need. What I'm saying is to get this to the point that you are content at where you, where you are and you're not being miserable. Because the opposite, opposite of contentment is discontent. And discontent brings nothing but misery, and it's a buzzkill because it brings you down. So why spend your days and your hours in fretting over things that you don't have control over, but God does? 
Okay, you know, stressing over a problem enough will will will, will somehow change its outcome. It's not going to happen that way. You know, you know, fretting is you know if you take the word fret, f r e t, f is for a false sense of, r responsibility for, e every little t thing, false sense of responsibility for every little thing. Okay, that's when you start getting in your life and you feel like what is not happening in your life is your responsibility. Okay, the things that we do in life to a degree are our responsibility, but the biggest responsibility belongs to God. You see, so that's where we have to make sure we get ourselves to, you know, but guess what? The worrying is a waste of time and energy. We've never been or ever have been in control of our lives. Go and uh, God is. So let's go to Luke quickly here. Go to the book of Luke. Thank you, Jesus. We have to see what the word of God says always. Can't be based on opinion, but what is God telling us in his word? Amen. Luke chapter 12. Let me just turn this phone off here. Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 12. And we're just going to do... Well, I wasn't going to do 25, but let's go. Let's start at 22 and read that whole section. Okay, so chapter 12, verse 22. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. No, don't worry about your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what shall you put on? The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment, or the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they, sow, they, they, uh, they neither sow nor reap. Which, which neither have storehouse nor barn, God feeds, God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? So if God feeds them, you're much better than the fowls. And which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then, if then, if you then be not able to do that thing, which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Okay? So this, this is right there in 25 and 26. 25 and 26. Which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? Okay. So worrying about something, which of you can add, can add one cubit to your height? That'd be a lot of height, as a matter of fact. A cubit is about 18 inches. All right. So imagine you worrying about something, you're growing 18 inches. Boy, I'd be six foot four or something like that if I worried about it. Amen. 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 But what the point is making is that which of you, by worrying, can change anything in your life? You can't. You can't. So why worry about the state of affairs or where you are in life? Be content that where you are, because God knows what you have and what you don't have. God knows what you need. And more importantly, is God knows where he wants you to be and where he wants you to be is going to be much greater than anything else. OK, moving on along here around with, with, with buzzkills. We wind up going through with all these buzzkills in our lives. We can develop a gnarly face. Know what a gnarly face is? Okay. Do you have a gnarly face? Do you ever see anyone that has a gnarly face? A gnarly, that's a good imitation. A gnarly, a gnarly face is someone that has a face that's all tight and frowned up like a prune. Okay. I've got so many experiences from working in a, working in a secular job. Thank God I'm retired. Amen. But I remember one time I was coming back from a meeting that was particularly troubling. It was really one of those meetings where the people were really acting up and the issues at hand. And so I came back to my office and I was walking 
through the area there, walking, going back to my office. And my assistant had her desk just outside my door. And as I walked past her, she looked up and she said, Mike, are you all right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, why? She looked at me and said, your face sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> okay. She says, gee, what's going on? And I didn't realize, but my face was all tightened up and my, my brows were down like this and I was coming back. And the bottom line was that I wasn't angry, I wasn't upset, but I was preoccupied. I was thinking about what had happened in that meeting, okay? And I didn't feel angry, but the fact of the matter is that at that particular time, I had what's called a gnarly face. And so when she saw that right away, she was judging what, this, what the state of my being was, where my head was at because of the way that I was looking. Well, did you ever look in the mirror from time to time to see if you have a gnarly face? You ever come home from work after a particularly tough day and look and see just what is your countenance like? How are you looking? Okay. If someone was to ask by looking at you, by looking at you, if they were to say how you appear to, you know, would your feelings actually reflect your face? You know, and you wind up probably saying to them, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm not upset. I'm just focused on what I'm doing or I'm focused on what's going on. You see, see, well, of course, it, it, it's impossible because the face and the eyes are the window to the mind. You've heard the thing that the eyes are the windows to the, to the soul. Well, your, your face plays into that also. It's a window into your mind. And reading facial expressions is our feedback mechanism to know what's going on inside others. We look at others and we read their faces and this is how we get a feeling for how another person is going, how another person is doing. Okay? You ever go to, if you can think back to when you were a kid and if you wanted to go to your father or your mom to ask for some extra money or an advance on your allowance, what did you do first? You looked at their faces. You looked at their faces. Okay? And you look look at children today. Especially you that have, that have young kids and everything. Look at your kids today when they come to you. You look at how they're looking at you. And kids always look at your eyes. They always look at your eyes before they speak to you. Always. I've seen that without, no matter what child you're talking to. So they're trying to read your thoughts. They're trying to read your face. Okay. The word of God says, a joyful heart makes a cheerful face or countenance. But when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. Let's go to Proverbs 15. Praise the living God. Praise the living God. We go through life with all of these uh, cues, these uh, visual cues that's going on that others can pick up on, but many times we don't pick up on them. And as a result of us not picking up on those things, our lives become so miserable. You wind up feeling down. You lose your joy. You're not able to focus on what God wants you to do. Sometimes it gets to the point in our lives where we are so concerned with what's going on in our lives that we can't even hear God. Or you're getting, you get to the point where you just feel so down and distressed and everything. Things are not going right. Why bother praying to God? Whereas God is standing there waiting patiently. Why doesn't he come to me? Why doesn't she come to me? Why doesn't he bring that problem to me? Okay. Okay. Verse number, uh, Proverbs uh, 15, verse number 13. 15, verse number 13 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. So if you've got joy in your heart, then that means that your countenance and what you're going to be showing is going to be one that is expressing joy. If it's the other way around, that your countenance and your face is going to be expressing everything but joy. So the question to ask yourself is, does your countenance bless or intimidate people? Stop and think about that. Does your countenance or how you carry, how you look, does it bless or does it intimidate people? Does Jesus' joy, quote unquote, does Jesus' joy shine through your eyes? 
Does Jesus' joy shine through your eyes and encourage people through your smile? Do you smile at people? Do you let, do you, when you look at people, how do they receive you? Okay, you see, because remember, if you are letting yourself stay with a down countenance where you're worrying and you've got all of this negative stuff going on. Okay, first of all, it's going to make your heart miserable, according to the word of God. You're going to be miserable. And then also when others see you, it's going to make them miserable. Amen. 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 So, 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 so a, a merry heart. Okay. Okay. It, whatsoever you do in the word, uh, do in the word or in deed, do all in the name of Lord. That's what Colossians 13, uh, 13 says. Okay. Are you doing things in life with joy so that others can see the joy that you have in working and doing things that God would be having you to do? Okay. Maybe we should tell our gnarly faces the good news that's in your heart more often and get rid of the thoughts that pull you down. Amen. Get rid of those thoughts that would tend to pull you down. Paul gave us a whole list of things uh, to think on, okay? And getting, getting around into a few more scriptures here, let's go to Luke number 10. Oh, praise the living God. Luke, Luke chapter 10. Praise God. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. What are the things that pull us down? Luke 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her or tell her, therefore, that she should help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Verse 42 again. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away. So how do we put this in modern everyday language? Basically, Jesus went into a village that had and two sisters were there. And these two sisters decided to host Jesus in this village. And apparently they had like a dinner party. There was a party going and apparently there were a whole lot of people there. Martha was scurrying around feeding all of these people. Okay, making sure there's enough ice available, you know, making sure there was enough fruit punch and so on. She's just running around. We all know how it is when you entertain people. So Martha was running around. In the meantime, Mary was over there. All she was doing, she was mesmerized. She was just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus talking. She was hanging on every single word, every single word that was being said. So what does Martha do? She looks at all these people and I guess she's sweating and everything and sweat dropping from her. She's running around, dropping stuff and everything. Jesus, Jesus, you know, I'm running around doing all of this. Don't you think Mary should be helping me with some of these people? You see all these people that are here? Jesus, don't you think Mary should be helping me? And what does he tell her? What does he tell her there? He says, Mary. Let me go back again here. He says, uh, uh, oh boy, what is it there? 10, 30, lost my place there, 42. Okay, sorry there. He says, one thing is needful. Martha, Martha, 41. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. 
42. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Okay? So basically what he's saying is that you're worried about all of this other stuff that really doesn't matter. But what Mary is concerned about, hearing my words and hearing the truth, hearing God's word, that is what is important. So in other words, the things that feed your stomach are not that really important compared to the important things in life. So how many of us wind up focusing on the wrong things? How many of us wind up focusing on the things that, that more, you know, deal with the world rather than being focused in on, on the important things of life like the words of Jesus or following what God wants us to do? Martha probably would have loved to sit around listening to the Messiah too, but she was too distracted. She was too distracted and she felt compelled to do, compelled to do the serving. Lord, she said, don't you care about my sister has left me to do the work by myself in verse number 40 there? So she was distracted. So how many times do, 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 do things come into our lives and we wind up putting our all into other things that are happening? Things enter into our lives. We wind up being involved. We wind up serving other people, serving other things, uh, doing other actions, whatever it is that might be, instead of taking that time to sit and slow down for a little bit and listen to the word of God. To listen to what Holy Spirit might be telling you. How many times do we wind up being like Martha and we wind up choosing what are the important things and those important things are taking us away from spending time with God? You see, you cannot succeed in this life unless you've really got God involved in your life. She was distracted from hearing the word and she wanted her sister to also be distracted. You can have people that are around you that are getting involved in other things who are totally distracted from God and they will try to distract you also. How many times have things come up just before it's time to go to church? How many times has someone called you perhaps? Oh, I need help with so-and-so. Or I'm doing this on Sunday. Would you come and join me? If you look at, if you look around you and you see that during the summer, spring and summer months especially, all of the, 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 the house showings, people who are buying houses, all of the house showings are done on Sunday. All of the little league games where the kids are playing baseball, soccer, football, or what, not football, but baseball or whatever else is going with the kids are done on Sundays. These are distractions. You see, that will keep you away from the word of God. You see, Jesus, Jesus, don't you think Mary should be happy with me too? She wanted Mary to be distracted just like she. And all I'm saying to you is that you need to be careful because distractions will, will come into your life that will take you away from what God wants you to do. Don't, don't fall into that. Don't fall into that. Okay? Many of us can identify with Martha. We yearn to focus our attention on Jesus, but we're also distracted by our perpetual to-do lists. You know? And you can be, be good intention. God knows your heart and everything like that. God knows that I intend to go to church. I intend to spend this time after work to read the Bible. I intend to take to spend 15 minutes reading a few scriptures before I go to bed. I intend to, I intend to, I intend to. But then something else will come up to distract you away from doing that. Okay? See? That's another big buzzkill in your life because eventually what it does is it steals your joy because you wind up putting God on, a, on, a, on the second on the second uh, on the second fiddle there. OK, so much to do. So little time. How many people get distracted when you sending a text or you're dwelling on something else when you're sitting in church? How many people sit there in church and they're thinking about that proverbial ham that's in the oven that's cooking so that they can't even pay attention to what's being preached about? Amen. Your mind is drifting. You see, you see, and the interesting thing about distraction, I find, because it happens to me, too. I mean, I'm not like anyone. I'm not dislike, unlike uh, uh, anyone else. That distraction, that distraction comes on. It doesn't warn you. 
That distraction doesn't say, here I come, I'm going to distract you. All, all you know is that you're sitting there and you're aptly listening to every word that the preacher is saying. Then all of a sudden your mind, poof, is gone someplace else. You see? An interesting thing apart, too, because this happened to me. An interesting thing, thing, too, you know, and sometimes I'll be watching a minister on TV there and I'm hanging on every single word. And something will happen. And thank God for, for rewind. Thank God for we rewind where you can go back and hear what the preacher was saying on TV. You can't do that here. You can't do that live. Or many times you can't do that when the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to you. Okay? But that distraction doesn't say, here I come, I'm going to distract you. No, it doesn't work that way. Boom, it's there. Then all of a sudden you miss. And the part that you missed may be the salient, may be the most important part of what God wants you to hear. But that distraction, boom, and that split second in time, you'll miss it. I've also seen, seen that uh, many, many times when people will miss church. And the particular message that was preached that particular Sunday, that individual that wasn't there needed to hear it. And how do I know this? Because many times I know what's going on in someone's life and so on like that. Or maybe Holy Spirit will show me something and I'll know what's going on. But that particular message that person needed to hear. But they were distracted and taken away from that particular service. The thing that God wanted them to hear that would have gotten them or helped them in a particular situation that they're in. Okay. All right, all right. So we have, we have to watch it. Jesus, don't you care that Mary is not helping me? She chose what was important. Maybe again, he was just trying to tell her that, 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 that the heart, the spirit is more important than our stomachs. And then finally here in closing, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, um, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Trying to be cute. And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered, saying, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He passed by on the other side. This is a priest. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, the next day, on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come back, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him uh, that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, go and do, 
Go and do thou likewise. Told them to go and do the same thing. So here we see this Samaritan. By the way, in, in, in that particular time, the Jews and the Samaritans were at great war with each other. They hated each other. So the Samaritans and the Jews. This scripture, as you know, has been termed, has been come to be known as the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan and the Jews hated each other and so forth. They, they couldn't stand each other. They walked across the street and so on. But this, this Samaritan here, where the, 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 the priest and the Levite, the Levite actually was the priestly uh, tribe, they wouldn't even help this guy. He was in this area. He got mugged. Priest went by. The, the, the Levite went by, wouldn't even help him. But this Samaritan, who in the eyes of the Jews was such bad people, decided to help him. Okay, decided to help him. All right. So what we need to do, we need to ask ourselves, when do we step outside the box and help someone else? When do we step outside the box and show mercy to someone else? When do we step outside the box when other people will not help, will not lift a helping hand? Do we step outside the box and decide to pitch in and help? Amen. Jesus said there, he said, uh, go and do thou likewise. Amen. So you want to stop seeing things in your life that's just just going so much awry. You want to stop seeing things uh, being such a burden in your life. You want to stop being at a place that you've got all of these buzzkills going on. This is an area in our lives that we sometimes overlook. We sometimes overlook giving and helping someone else. It might not always be a monetary thing. It might not always be involving money, but it might be simply offering a helping hand, caring for someone else, having some some compassion for your, quote unquote, your neighbor. You see, you see. And the more we get involved in doing that, we set ourselves up with God to make our lives, our lives go more smoothly. Amen. Amen. So in winding down here, the whole thing is, is that buzz kills in life. Um, how do we prevent them? We talked about several. How do we prevent them? How do we really, really trust God? One of the biggest things that I see, the biggest challenges for Christians is, is in the case where we are our own worst enemies and that we carry our own burdens. When God told us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Amen. When you're saying your morning prayers and you're reciting your morning prayers, one of the things that you can say is this thing in the name of Jesus. Again, I cast all my cares upon you, Lord, because I know that you care for me. And once you cast that burden upon him, leave it there. Don't take it back. Don't take it back. And you wind up to, every time you worry about something that you've prayed about and given to God and have given to God, you're taking that burden right back. You gave it to him, but then you said, okay, I'm going to take the burden back, God. And then in essence, what you're saying is that, God, I don't think you're going to deal with this. So I'm going to try to deal with it myself. Like I said, Holy Spirit has told me over my years being in ministry and, and just being in life, period. You know, Holy Spirit said, didn't you just give that burden to me? Why are you taking that burden back? So in other words, why are you worrying about it when you gave it to me? You've got someone that works for you or someone that's working with you and you give them an assignment to do. You know, hopefully, unless you're one of those micromanager managers, you give it to the person. You don't worry about it. You know, you may check in from time to time to see how they're doing, but you don't worry about it and dwell on it. You give something to God, you give it to him, and you don't worry about it because God is much more capable than you to carry it out. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. And now before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.